one of the things you always want to do in a survival situation is improve your situation and the way that you do that is uh, as you travel you look for ways to improve your conditions that you live in whether that's finding something along uh, as you're walking through the path uh, as I come up here I can see something that may be useful to me this is a little bottle and that will come in real handy you can use that for water and if you suspend it from a three-prong uh, tripod you can actually boil water in it as you look along too you see here there's a lot of what I call fire starter material you put that into a bundle and you've got uh, a ready-made fire carrier with you the main thing is to always make sure that as you walk and you try to get out of an environment uh, in, in out of a situation is to make sure that you're always adding things to improve your situation you carry them with you as you go along today in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 we're going to learn as believers that we're to be adding as we go along too. So if you have your Bibles, let's get ready and we'll learn about how to scaven be a scavenger for Christ. Yeah, what you didn't hear in that video, there were thousands of frogs out there. <laughs> I was like, I'm wondering if the frogs are going to be too loud for the, for the video. So we're at 2 Peter today, uh, 2 Peter obviously written by the Apostle Peter. Um, as to the date, it was sometime before 68 and 67 uh, A.D. And the reason that I say that is that that's the time frame that scholars believe that Peter died. So it had to have been written before that period. In fact, Peter knew that his death was impending when chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 he said, I know that it will not be long before I am with him. So uh, Peter is writing here with a sense of urgency, a sense of desire need to let these people know something important. If you want an umbrella, Second Peter, you could say it this way. It's believers in the conflict of daily life. Believers in the conflict of daily life. And so the Apostle Peter puts this in, in, in an important uh, setting for these believers, that this is stuff that you need to do, and it need, there needs to be a sense of urgency. He had just written in First Peter, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become divine partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Peter realized that there had to be now, since his death was, was, Im, was imminent, that these readers needed to grab something and they needed to start growing in their, in their faith. So what Peter says today is, first of all, pursue spiritual growth, and he begins with the command. Now, notice what Peter writes here. For this very reason, and the question is, for what very reason? 
for the fact that just before this, he says, you have escaped the corruption of the world. For this very reason, the fact that you have been born again, you have been saved by the blood of Christ, he has given you very precious promises, and having escaped the corruption of the world, for this very reason, I want you to do the following. He says here, make every effort to supplement your faith. The word make here means to do one's best. You could say it this way, to bring your A game to the table. Not on just Sunday alone, but every day. I want you to make, I want you to do your very best. And he says here, make every effort. Pastude, pastude, which means to do quickly and with great effort and energy. He's not calling them to sit to be idle. He is calling them to really work at this. Because the day will dictate it. Look at our culture today, brothers and sisters. We live in a culture that is anti-God, that is anti-Christian, anti-Bible. And in that culture, we also now, as believers, uh, generations removed from Peter, of course, but it's still relevant for us today that we add to what Peter is saying and we add to our own, our own lives. Good way to, good image for this is this runner overcoming these hurdles or obstacles as he runs. He is singularly focused. He is determined. He is going to do his best to get over these obstacles. It's exactly what this means, to make every effort to be intense, to not just treat this as something, well, Pastor Mike preached on this this morning and maybe I'll just do it sometime this week. Maybe on Wednesday I might try this. No, he's saying, and I'm not saying this, Peter's saying it, to make every effort to strive, to go towards, to give your best to doing what he's getting ready to outline. Now, what he says here is supplement your faith. This word supplement is an aorist imperative in the Greek language. And the aorist, if you remember, is a snapshot. It's a snapshot picture of a, a time frame or a moment that has happened. So when he mentions this supplement, which means to add, the snapshot is given immediately. Supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. That snapshot in time, that moment, the pistis moment when you trusted in Jesus Christ, that is your snapshot in time. And, and Peter is saying, I want you to add to that snapshot. We, 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 and I think we do a poor job at this as Baptists. We love getting people saved. We love getting them to the altar, and I have no problem with that. The issue comes, okay, now what? Now what? Do, are we just saved and we, and we just uh, bask in God's grace, which we should bask in God's grace? It's magnificent. Uh, but there has to be something more. But the snapshot in time that Peter is talking about is that faith that you trusted in Jesus Christ, that, that faith, that marvelous faith in which God showers you with his grace and his mercy and his love. Now I want you to add to that. We're scavengers, if you will. We are in a world that is not friendly to us. We are in hostile waters. And he calls us now 
to add to this faith. Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary, a godly character does not emerge from inactivity or laziness. That's truth. And it should not be marked among us as believers. We should have a desire to grow in our faith, to pursue spiritual growth. Is that your heart this morning? Is that your heart to desire to grow in your spiritual faith? To desire with all of your being. See, this is, uh, Peter, this, this is obviously an imperative. Supplement your faith. Uh, Peter's not saying, please, would you do this? He's commanding. It is a strong command in the Greek language. And, and why is Peter so why is Peter so excited about this? Because Peter has been revealed, God revealed to him that you are going to die soon. My goodness, when you go look at Paul's letter to and uh, 2 Timothy, when he tells Timothy, I want you to preach the word in season, out of season, rebuke, correct, and exhort with careful instruction and, and, and patience. He's saying, look, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to die and leave this world, and what I'm going to do is pass the baton on to you. What has been passed on to us, brothers and sisters, is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. We are the recipients now of this great command to add to our faith and to pursue. Let me encourage you as your pastor. To, that, that's, really the, that's, really the, that's really the starting place. See, because here you have... The, the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. In fact, he's the only foundation. And what we do then, as we've laid the foundation of Jesus Christ in our hearts, is we begin adding to this. Not that we're adding to salvation or, or that salvation is by works. No, no, no. It is based on the grace of God that he has given to us that we begin to add and add and add. And any survival expert will tell you when you're in the wilderness, as you are moving through trying to escape, which we'll talk about that two sermons from now, um, that, that you are constantly looking for things that you can grab to improve your situation. And brothers and sisters, these are some things that we can grab to make us more godly as we live for him. Then he mentions these qualities. There's seven of them. And as I looked over these, these qualities this week, you know what I thought to myself is, man, if you had these seven qualities, it pretty well runs the spectrum of the Christian life. So if you want seven qualities here that will help you in your spiritual growth, these are the good ones to work on. Because some of these are internal, some of them are, are external, but let, let's kind of go through them quickly. And these are the seven qualities that we're to add. He says, I want you to add to your pistis, to your faith. And that literally means the day you trusted in Christ with the snapshot in time. He says, I want you to add these qualities. Number one, Virtue. Now, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament translates this manliness. It can be, you can say man up. Or it can refer to godliness, excellence, but context always dictates interpretation. The word can also refer to courage. And it's moral courage. 
So when Peter says the first, this is the very first one that comes up. We have to have moral courage to say and to live for Christ in this world. Moral courage. Moral courage meaning that we are willing to stand against the world that is constantly pushing against us. That we have to have the moral fortitude. Because if you don't have that, if you don't have the moral fortitude to stand up to a world that is immoral, then you've, you've got problems right at, right at the start of it. Secondly, he mentions the word knowledge. That is the ability to choose between right and wrong. The ability to choose between right and wrong. Brothers and sisters, where does that knowledge come from? Well, a lot of that knowledge comes from here. As we read the Word of God, we begin to understand what God calls us to do in a world that is godless. The other place that that knowledge comes from is from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. When was the last time you read the Bible? Maybe even studied a commentary? There's plenty of good online resources for that. It's the ability to take the moral courage. He's layering here, beautifully done by Peter. The moral courage and then the knowledge that goes with that moral courage to make the right decisions and to distinguish between right and wrong. I'm going to say the vast majority of our problems in our own lives are based on the inability to choose what is right. We make poor decisions, don't we? And sometimes those decisions have lifelong consequences. But as believers, we need to have the knowledge to be able to say, this is right, this is wrong. And I'll say this, you are never wrong when you are doing right. It is never wrong to do the right thing, and you do the right thing all the time. A third one is self-control. The power to control one's desires and emotions. Last night, Audrey and I were watching American Experience. And we were watching a documentary on the Amish. I don't know if you remember this event. It happened, oh, probably 13, 14 years ago, where an active shooter went into a, uh, a schoolhouse. And as he entered the schoolhouse with these Amish children, told the boys to leave and it just left the girls and in a senseless cowardice act he shoots these girls five of them die later that evening one of the pastors that was interviewed later that evening uh, one of the members from the Amish community went to the house, the parents of the shooter, walked into the house and said, we forgive you. 
we are trusting this as divine providence. The pastor, the evangelical pastor that was interviewed, said that when that man walked through the door, what he saw was the grace of God. In fact, over 40 people showed up at the shooter, the Amish people showed up at the shooter's funeral. And most of them were the ones that lost one of the five girls. Self-control. <laughs> when you think about that story, think about self-control. They didn't lash out. They didn't, uh, they didn't try to defame the person. They didn't try to get physically uh, violent with them. What they did was they simply embraced the fact that it was, it was under the divine umbrella of God. There's nothing they can do about it, but they had been given the grace of God, and therefore they will give the grace of God. That's, that's the epitome of this. It is, it is self-control. When you could lash out, do not. This not only refers to the sensual side, but just to everyday desires that we have. Things that we, sh that we want to do, but we pull back because we want to work on the issue of self-control in our own heart. Number four, steadfastness. Inner power of persistence and to bear up under a heavy load. And in fact, we'll talk a little bit about this next week in the mindset sermon. But the, the inner power of persistence, when you are in a survival situation, the way that you don't die or succumb to the elements is that you get it in your mind that you are going to persevere and you are going to push through and you are going to fight your way through this situation and 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 that's it steadfastness it's i know i know brothers and sisters the christian life gets tough i get that my goodness i wish in my own life i wish jesus would come back right this is <laughs> this is not fun but i'm going to tell you it is the persistence of the Christian life. It is the persistence of the Christian life that makes us who we are in Christ. And we need to have the persistence and the fortitude just to keep pushing. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, when life is so difficult that it is difficult just to put the leg forward I want you the next morning or right at that moment just pick it up and move the next step keep pushing forward because we know who is at the finish line amen it's Jesus Christ the son of God our redeemer and savior he is at the finish line and he's calling to us keep going keep going keep going mm. push forward Push forward. Whatever you have inside of you, just let it keep pushing forward. Godliness. This is, these are so powerful. I mean, I got teary-eyed when I was doing it, and I got teary-eyed preaching it, I guess. Godliness, reverence that seeks to please God in all things. Our life is to be a hallelujah chorus to the Lord. 
we can never forget passages, and Peter mentions it, be holy for I am holy. That's a tough challenge. I know that. It is a tough challenge. But yet God calls us to be holy. And why wouldn't we reverence him? Why wouldn't we reverence him? Do you know he's forgiven all of your sin, all of my sin, gone, done away with, never to be brought up again? Satan may mess with you and say, what about this, this, and this? You push that aside and say, the blood of Jesus has covered all of my sin. And now because he has freed me from my sin and from my past, that I will live for him in the future. And I will reverence God with my life. You know what? We need to get back to some degree of, and I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but we need to get back to some point where we just drop before him and say, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I hope to be is yours. And I, Father, I want to please you with my life. What could God do with people who were surrendered to him? Make it your goal, brothers and sisters, to have reverence for him and to live in such a way that you glorify God with your life. Number six, brotherly affection, or what we call warm affections, and do acts of kindness. You know what? Just doing acts of kindness, maybe to your neighbor. This isn't only specifically for the Christian community, but uh, taking a meal over to a, a neighbor that you know is uh, going had gone through a surgery or something. Uh, being kind, just opening the door for somebody. The other day, I asked a lady if I could carry, if I could put. It was an older lady, and I said, "Can I put your groceries in in the back of your car for you?" And she said, "No, that's okay. I've got it." Uh, and it's good that pastors get to do this stuff because I'm working on my sermon, right? And you have to, you, okay, God gives you a, gives you a spot. So you, you, you have to use it. He, he says, you know, you're, you're no better than if you use it. Do something kind for somebody. This week, I want you to write some, or some name, just write it down. This is pastoral theology. This is my stuff. It's not God, I'm just giving you a way of putting it in here. Just write down one name on a piece of paper and do a kind act for them this week. You know what it might do? It might make you feel good that you're helping somebody and doing something to benefit them. And they might go, why did you do this? And you just said, well, because I love you. Do you know how powerful love is? It, well, every one of you right here today that has trusted in Jesus Christ, you've experienced real love and we should be able to give that back lastly oh okay I, here it is <laughs> seeks the welfare of the one loved love those of you that have kids grandkids boyfriend girlfriend married you have somebody that you love and you are seeking the welfare of that person. I want to do something that will help them. This word is also self-sacrificing in the sense that it's the epitome of what Jesus did on the cross. He died on the cross 
for our welfare. He did not have to, but he did it for us. Not only pursue spiritual growth, but stay productive. And he mentions here, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Epigenosis. Epigenosis is the Greek word for knowledge. And it means an intimate and growing knowledge of someone. An intimate and growing knowledge of someone. It's like you spending time with your best friend. And I know all of us have had best friends, some of them since we've grown up, and, and, and you live with them, and, and you get to know them, right? As, as you live with them, they, they pray with you, you, you talk, you, you develop that relationship. And, and you know the other person. When, and when others don't know, they're, they're kind of back removed from the situation, but you know the person because you've spent time with them. Brothers and sisters, the rest of our Christian life should be spent getting to know Jesus. Getting to know Him and His glory. John Lilly, in his series of sermons, he wrote this. This knowledge is both the root and the goal of the Christian life. The best evidence that can be given of knowing the Lord is to follow on to know him. So many times, I'll bring this up again, so many times. So many times we get people to the altar. Metaphorically, to the altar. We get them saved, if you will. They, they trust in Christ, but yet they don't progress in the Christian walk. And the, the issue is, who's, who's at fault here? I think probably the pastor, the deacons, and the congregation. We should all be actively helping these people grow in their walk. But he says here, the, the knowledge is to get to know somebody better, basically, if you want to say it that way. It's, it's to know them, but to continue to know them. I think Lily's right here. To get to know them better. And to know them better means to grow deeper in your walk with him. Are you knowing Jesus deeper? I look at the, well, the Apostle Paul. Uh, really high standards with Paul. This is what he writes in Philippians 3, 7, 8. Uh, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ Jesus, my Lord. Personal. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, whatever else is going on in my life, it's rubbish. My singular desire with my heart is to know Christ intimately. And that, I love this. It's just these little words, Christ Jesus, my 
Lord. You could say, Ron, my Jesus is my Lord. Personalize it. And that's the goal of the Christian life is to know him and to know him deeper and better. Our desire should be to know him and want more and more prayer, Bible study, living for him. My goodness, he will teach us so much if we will just listen. And then, the other end of this. This is the knowledge of Christ. Stay productive, getting to know Jesus more and more. And we sang that song this morning. More and more about Jesus. Now we have the spiritual dullness. This is where you don't want to live. For whoever lacks these qualities. Now, in the Greek language, it, it, it leads some to believe that there were people in this camp. But Peter also wrote in, in, the, in the sense that, that there were those that were adding to their faith. But there were some, and even maybe some false teachers in, included in this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, listen to this, is so nearsighted that he is blind. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Nearsighted means the person cannot see these qualities. D. Edmund Hybert says this, his spiritual blindness leaves him unable to perceive the need for these spiritual qualities. You need a good picture? Here's a good picture. They read the Bible, but they can't see it. They read it. They know what it says, but they don't see the need for it. Unfortunately, some Christians live in that camp. They get saved. And I, I don't want to disown or say that the person doesn't own some, their own responsibility to grow in their faith. But I, I think we've, we've, we've been under the, um, the illusion that, that the, the primary goal is to get people to save. And I would be saved. And I would certainly agree with that. But along with that is the ability to disciple them to become more like Jesus. Here, it's a Christian who knows what to do, but is blind. I don't need that. I have Jesus. I've trusted in him. Back in 1928, I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, what have you done since then? Oh, I've done nothing. I've basically lived for myself. And I'll, I'll tell you, God will be the final uh, separator of this. I believe once saved, always saved, that the person's truly have it has it, then it's possible that a person that's never been discipled, who's never been taught to follow Jesus, could drift. Could drift. But that's not a good way to live once you're saved. The real danger here, and by the way, let me remind you, if you have a three-by-five card this week, I, I wrote mine down and left it in my office. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> But if you have a three-by-five card this week, write these down. Virtue, write, write all these seven down, and just look at it every morning. And maybe today you say, okay, I'm going to focus on moral courage. 
or I'm going to focus on brotherly love, or I'm going to focus on being steadfast. What, just write it down and look at it. Mike, these, these are so awesome because it covers the wide spectrum of the Christian faith. But those who are spiritually dull, this is the real danger. And quite honestly, I think this is one of Peter's hardest jabs having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Kathy Ramos, and that means cleansed from ritual contamination. Somebody that doesn't see the need for this doesn't see the need to continue to grow in their Christian walk so that they can confront a world that is totally corrupt. Those Christians have forgotten what they used to be like. And that's problematic. Because you do realize that we've been pulled out of this world, right? This is no longer our home. And we have been, as Peter writes so wonderfully, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen people. We have been set apart for him. And now we live for him. We don't want to get to the point where we are spiritually blind. We've become dull because of inactivity or, 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 or no desire to want to be like Jesus. That's the, that's the trick of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. And those who are spiritually dull, they've forgotten what Jesus did on the cross and how they've been cleansed from their sin. It is gone. They've forgotten that. They've just, they've trusted in Jesus Christ. And that's fine. That's good. But now grow. But if we walk in the light as Jesus, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It wasn't only a problem in Peter, it was a problem in John. Walk. Follow. Add. These things. 